I'm like a little bit worried because I have a bunch of bir- I'm outside right now and I have a bunch of birds like <laughs> chirping. So you might be able to hear that. Um, all right. When are you? Are we all ready? Okay. All right. Hey guys, welcome back. This is the first installment of our mini-series, Erased, and we are so, so excited to share it with you. In this episode, we talk to Turkish Cypriot Hazal Sayotan, who talks about what it's like to live in a country that doesn't legally exist. Before we get into it, though, if you don't know anything about Cyprus, here is a quick historical overview. Cyprus, yet another country that has felt the ruinous effects of imperialism has had something of a conflict-ridden history. The island is currently divided into a north and south side, separated by a buffer zone that is to this day controlled by the UN mission UNFI-CYP. The northern part of the island has Turkish Cypriots as its largest demographic group. It is also home to two military exclaves controlled by the United Kingdom, Akrotiri and Dekelia. Although officially claimed by the Republic of Cyprus, the northern part of the island is a de facto state named the Turkish Republic of North Cyprus, but only internationally recognized by Turkey. The south, mainly inhabited by Greek Cypriots, is controlled by the globally recognized Republic of Cyprus, a member of the Eurozone. This division of Cyprus can be traced back to the Ottoman occupation of the island in 1570, during which time a relatively large migration of Turkish people took place. In 1874, the British took control of Cyprus, which was seen as a strategic asset due to its relative proximity to both the Suez Canal and India. The collapse of the Ottoman Empire and the continued presence of the British on the island caused Cypriots to question the future of their sovereignty. Many Greek Cypriots, including the Orthodox Church, called for independence from the British and were supporters of Enosis, which represents the unification of all ethnic Greek lands. Turk Cypriots, on the other hand, feared that this would bring about their forced exodus as it happened after Greece's annexation of Crete decades prior. In 1963, the rights previously guaranteed to Turkish Cypriots by the first president, Archbishop Makaris III, were challenged by the Greek Cypriot state. Tensions escalated into an armed crisis, which resulted in hundreds of casualties on both sides. Eleven years later, a coup d'etat by the Greek dictator Ioannidis brought pro-Enosis President Samson to power. Turkish calls for his dismissal were declined, leading to two Turkish military invasions on the island and the subsequent collapse of the Greek dictatorship. The fall of the regime led to the independence of the Turkish Republic of North Cyprus in 1983, accompanied by the expulsion of Turkish Cypriots from the south and Greek Cypriots from the north. That was brought to you by a friend of the podcast, Oliver Cuts, and here is the show. Hazal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, if you could just start off by giving a, a personal introduction and, and tell us more about yourself and your story. Okay, so I'm Hazal. I was born in the U.S., but my mother is Cypriot, uh, more specifically Turkish Cypriot, and. I have been living in Cyprus for 
16 years of my 18-year life. My family left the U.S. when I was two years old. Can you talk maybe more about what it's been like growing up in Cyprus and, and your identity as a Turkish Cypriot? I never really identified with being from the U.S. My father is Turkish, uh, but I've also never identified with being Turkish, uh, especially growing up in North Cyprus with the politics, and I will talk more about this later, but it there is a distinction, big distinction between being Turkish and being Turkish Cypriot, and I think many people who don't know the context of the Cyprus problem or don't know about the issue can confuse these identities and think that Turkish Cypriots are just Turkish, but uh, we're not. And whenever I do go to Turkey, I experience uh, the same thing that I experience in the US, that I'm a foreigner, that I don't belong there because I don't really, that's not where I'm from. Living in, in North Cyprus, have you experienced any sort of restrictions, um, either emotionally or physically um, or culturally? Um, and, and how have you navigated that? Until I became a citizen of the Republic of Cyprus through my, mother, my mother's citizenship because she was born in Cyprus before the war. She was born in Paphos before the war in 1974. So before she got her citizenship, I didn't have a citizenship for the Republic of Cyprus. And I would travel to the south of Cyprus with my US passport. And there are complications with that because I live in North Cyprus, but technically it's not a legal residence because it is not a country. So it's not a recognized state. So as a U.S. citizen, if I entered Cyprus through the north of Cyprus, if I then entered the south of Cyprus after I entered North Cyprus, I would only have the right to stay in Cyprus technically for 90 days and then I would have to exit the country because then you need a residence permit as a U.S. citizen. One of my closest friends, he uh, is, he was born in, in Cyprus but in North Cyprus, and he has a Turkish Cypriot identity card. He is technically a citizen, but because his family is Turkish and his mother is not Cypriot, he does not count as a full citizen, so he cannot cross to the wow. south of Cyprus. And it is a problem for him because he also does not live in Turkey. So, I mean, where is he from? <laughs> it's like he lives nowhere. Right, right. <laughs> so my mother, for the longest time from since, I guess, my mother didn't want to go to the south of Cyprus for a really long time. I'd say until 2018. She refused to go because she had left Cyprus during the 80s um, to study in the U.S. and she had uh, she hadn't really come back to live in Cyprus after that until we moved back to Cyprus as a family in 2004. 
as I was growing older, I went to an international school, so a lot of my friends went to the south of Cyprus, for example, to go to McDonald's because we weren't, uh, McDonald's wasn't permitted in North Cyprus because it wasn't a recognized uh, country. So my friends would just go on like day trips to McDonald's or something in the south and they would talk about it. And I remember asking my mother, uh, saying like, oh, why don't we ever go to the south? And she just didn't want to because it was too traumatic for her and she was still scared. She still had a lot of a lot of fear from from the wartime and she thought that it was still terrifying and people there were still terrifying. Uh, but then she decided that she needed to go finally because it was nearing the time when me and my sister uh, had to go to university. So she said that since she can get a European citizenship, she decided to just get over her fear and I guess prejudice in a way and get a citizenship. So the first time she traveled to her hometown where she was born, where she was raised as a child, way down south in Cyprus, near the coast. Uh, a lot of British people have summer homes there and they go there for holidays. So it's quite a famous tourist attraction. The first time she visited, it was very emotional for her, but I mean, she took a lot of steps to, so that we could get an education in terms of her own, uh, I guess, trauma and um, scars. Uh, and that sort of, I think, brought me a lot closer to the issue because my mother is older than most uh, mothers of my friends, people who are my age. And so she was born in the war and she lived through the war, whereas other people's, for example,'s parents were part of the war or right. yeah. their, their parents were born just after the war. I was just going to ask you, um, did you grow up with, with stories of the war? Actually, uh, my grandparents were quite... My grandfather in particular, I think, would talk about yeah. it, but uh, he sort of passed away before I was old enough to comprehend I'm sorry. any yeah. of that. So it's um, all I knew of him was that he was a photographer. He fought during the world wars, and I would really have liked to know what my grandparents would say about all of this and how things are progressing now. So. What is the, the nature of the conflict right now? And are, are things getting better? Um, and maybe you could talk a little bit more about the political climate. The nature of the conflict now is, I don't really want to say as it has been for a while, but uh, it really is, um, has been sort of stagnant. I mean, the I guess the closest time in which there was any sort of any sort of proximity to an agreement was the Annan plan in 2004 uh, where Cyprus was to planned by Kofi Annan, the UN Secretary General at the time, to be a federated state. A lot of agreements were made like giving uh, parts of land back to uh, Greek Cypriots and things like that. but. 
after that, it's just been a sort of pull and push always, I think. Uh, for example, every time we are, there's, there are the elections in North Cyprus for our president, uh, our next president, each candidate says that they'll try their best to solve the Cyprus problem, but, uh, you know, that hasn't happened yet. So it's just a sort of running gag between Turkish Cypriots now that whenever there's a candidate running for presidency, they'll always say that no matter what. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And uh, in terms of the narrative, what is the general perception of Turkish Cypriots? Um, and I guess of the conflict in Cyprus in general? I'd say that there isn't really a perception of Turkish Cypriots a lot of the time because Turkish Cypriots don't exist to yeah. people. Um, we're erased from our own history, I think, a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. We're never mentioned uh, like in talks about the Cyprus problem in media about the Cyprus problem, it's always either the involvement of Turkey or Greece or the UN or the Republic of Cyprus or right. uh, the UK, the United Kingdom. Turkish Cypriots are missing from the equation. Right. And that's always a that's always been a problem and is still a problem because we're always used as pawns in political agreements. Um, for ownership of the island, of this sort of strategic location in the Mediterranean between three continents. Do you feel that there is any animosity today um, towards the UN, uh, the UK? I know that there's, again, you know, UN presence, and if I understand correctly, British presence still um, on the island. And and does that feel like it's making any kind of footprint in the psyche of, of the island. So with the UK, I mean, it's sort of common knowledge now between us that they still have their bases here and and they haven't been able to leave the island. A popular way to look at it between us Turkish Cypriots is that they're not leaving when maybe they should be, or at least they're trying to sweep yeah. it under the rug that they're somehow still here, even though it doesn't really make and, sense. And do you know why um, that is? Why haven't they left yet? Uh, well, I mean, it is a very strategic location. I don't think, I don't think they yeah. want to leave anyway. It's, it's always been the same with Cyprus, though. I mean, Cyprus, ever since it's an island between three continents in the Mediterranean, it's quite a, it's quite a gold quite a gold mine, I guess, yeah. <laughs> in a way. Um, so in that way, it's understandable, but, you know. And with international in, uh, institutions, I'd say uh, there's a lot of uh, sort of crackdown on uh, the TRNC, the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, and uh, consequently, I guess, Turkish Cypriots about... Uh, mostly to Turkey, though, aimed or targeted towards Turkey, uh, sort of about international mm. law and how international law is being broken. Um, 
but again, that's sort of targeted towards Turkey and uh, Turkish Cypriots are sort of seen as a byproduct of Turkey's mm. mishaps even in this situation but uh, people do forget that Turkish Cypriots have been on the island since 1571 yeah. and so it's quite a there's quite a negative light on uh, the Turkish Cypriot side of the conflict internationally I didn't really manage to find myself any sort of positive international media about Turkish Cypriots or any sort of even consideration of Turkish Cypriots in the debate about the things that are happening. The extreme actions of Turkey which affect North Cyprus are more spoken of than, for example, the extreme and oftentimes uh, violent opposition that Turkish Cypriots are greeted with from the south of Cyprus. How does the violence manifest itself today? Yeah, I can give actually very recent cases. I think you may have heard, possibly you probably have heard because it's a, hmm, it's a big problem, international problem that Varosha, the, uh, the place that we call, that we called Kapalamarash, uh, which is like the ghost town, sort of like used to be a touristic hotspot in Cyprus. It, like, af during the war and after the war, it was abandoned and closed down and it falls in the north part of the island. And recently, uh, the administration in the north decided to open it back up to the public, the shore and stuff. And this became a problem and now the EU and the UN have been called to intervene. With that yeah. opening, was there actual violence that, that came out of that? Or was it just like tension? Uh, uh, well, because there couldn't be violence since it was, it's an area that's in the north part of the island. Uh, there was just, I guess, as I said, the EU and uh, the UK no, the EU and the UN were called to intervene because this was seen mm. as a violation of international law of sorts. How so? Yeah, that's a good question. There's a lot of debate between uh, land rights um, mm. because this is invaded land. So, you know, there's the buffer zone in the middle and uh, whatever is done in the north is illegal behavior yeah um currently according to the world so it's yeah it's a bit tough there's a lot and especially with uh varosha there's a lot of debate on what the rights that turkish cypriots have um over the land there is uh, a lot of divide between the politics in the north about Perhaps people who are trying to, I could phrase this better, but kiss Turkey's ass, who believe that Turkey is the motherland. Mm. And basically, we call them the, uh, most of them are part of what they call the Nationalist Party here. Yeah. They want to, for example, give land to Turkish people, uh, to Turkey, Turkish Cypriot land. They like to sell 
companies to them. Wow. They want to privatize institutions here so that uh, workers can be brought from Turkey, etc. Huh. So there, that's a different side of our politics. Um, but a lot of Turkish Cypriots aren't for that. And actually, we're, we have our elections currently. So the uh, two candidates that are going head to head at the moment are uh, one of them has close connections to uh, Turkey. And the other is our current president, um, who uh, Turkish Cypriots all love because they, um, I guess he's hailed as sort of like the only person in the government right now who's actually speaking up for the rights of Turkish Cypriots hmm. themselves. I can give an example, like during the pandemic, uh, now actually, uh, a month ago when things started getting worse again, he decided that we should close down borders and that included borders to Turkey or from Turkey to, Cy to North Cyprus. Um, and as you know, like all flights to the airport in North Cyprus transit through Turkey because we're not recognized by any other country. Uh, so the flights from coming from Turkey were shut down uh, and Turkish people, people from Turkey and politicians from Turkey in particular were putting blame on uh, the president for uh, and the health, the Ministry of Health uh, for being racist towards mm. them and for not being considerate enough of, uh, you know, of what some prefer to call the motherland. Uh, and Turkish Cypriots were quite angry with this because we have, we do get this quite often from uh, politicians from Turkey and yeah, some fanaticists and it's nothing new. So we were, I mean, the president, our current president was the only person in the government who actually stood up uh, for that and said, no, we're not racist. We're just trying to protect our people. So we're not going to let you come. The borders are closed. And that was sort of like, that's why I, he's sort of in the lead now. Is the political climate then very tense? I mean, especially now that it's election season, but in general, yeah. does it feel like political fissures are kind of falling along the same lines of other social cleavages? Or maybe ethnic cleavages? Yeah, I mean, the the climate right now is quite uh, disturbing because, as I said, response to the pandemic is one thing, but mm. also there was uh, the whole thing about uh, natural gas. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Who's going to get that? Where's the money going to mm. go? how you know and nobody wants to let go if if they do find something nobody's gonna want to let go of cyprus and um and do people have to let go it's all of that and combined with uh pressure from turkey and the thing is pressure from turkey is something that haunts us because can't really get support from anyone else if you think about it nobody else likes us either and you know we get our water from turkey we get our telecommunications from turkey we get 
you get things from Turkey because that's the only way we can get things. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's a matter of survival, but at the same time, like, what do you, how much of your rights and your freedom can you, can you give away mm. for survival? Basic survival. Yeah. Wow. I yeah. don't know. Like, it's, it's actually, they call it, um, there's this, very commonly used phrase between Turkish Cypriots in Turkish, which is like uh, the, the effort and sort of battle to exist. And that's something that Turkish Cypriots have been going through for the longest time before the war, since the war. Um, and it's just, it just seems If you look at it objectively, it all seems very silly because Turkish Cypriots have been here on this island for so long. Mm. And I mean, I guess it, I wouldn't be afraid to call it common sense to think that they have the right to be here more than anyone else. But it's sort of like because of the way it's been portrayed in media uh, during the years after the war and because nobody wants to let go of the island we're sort of used as a um, we're sort of made to be seen as the byproduct of or the after effect of turkey's imperialism yeah although that's kind of uh ironic coming from places like the uk or the <laughs> yes the, the eu to a certain extent So it's quite interesting um, to sort of be in this position, I guess. Absolutely. We also get that quite often, I'd say. Violation of international law. We get that one a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, even though I would say that violation of human rights is more of a concern and ethnic cleansing is more of a Anyway, yeah no absolutely um, and do, do you say that <laughs> do you say that because you feel like that's been somewhat perpetrated against you uh yeah well uh for example after the republic was formed the republic of cyprus 1960 after that during around 1963 uh turkish cypriots weren't a minority i'd say and Suddenly, uh, Turkish Cypriots were told that they could, they had the opportunity um, that Britain, Australia uh, were taking in refugees of sorts. They were giving people uh, asylum opportunities to go and live in those countries, mm -hmm. Turkish Cypriots. So Turkish Cypriots were given the option to live in those countries, but The condition was that their passports would be destroyed. Their Cypriot passports would be destroyed wow. when they left. So then, in that case, the Turkish Cypriots, a lot of people left because a lot of people wanted better lives. A lot of people wanted better rights. A lot of people were scared. Uh, so what happened was that there was a minority left on the island. Mm. And I think that was the purpose because then, I mean, who is there to speak up against any sort of injustice that happens? There's not that much of a majority at all. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, those things are never really spoken of, especially that I don't see, I have never read that anywhere <laughs> at all, but it happened. And that's why actually you see a lot of, you see large Turkish Cypriot communities in the UK and in Australia. If you ever visit, um, North London is full of them. Mm. So, so going back to the question about the tension between the UK presence and then between the South and the North, is that something that still feels really prevalent today? Does it feel calmer than it, than it has been in the past? Um, yeah, how does that manifest itself? I'm going to speak in events again but uh, earlier this month was the day that uh, the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus was declared and as per usual <laughs> I guess um, there is sort of uh, uh, an extremist group in the south of Cyprus uh, who does these sorts of demonstrations at it at any chance they get really and one of them in particular, um, you don't really, you don't see it on international news at all. I actually checked, but um, this, basically, what they did was earlier this month, this group raided the border, one of the borders, the entry points um, to the buffer zone, and tore down the border wall from the south of Cyprus, going into the buffer zone and started throwing uh, fireworks in over the border and started a fire in the green zone, the buffer zone. Mm. And yeah, it's just, I mean, the weird thing about that is that it's never, it happened sort of, I guess, one or two weeks after, no, one week after Barosha was declared open and nobody spoke about it. And you sort of, you can sort of tell the bias of media from there. I mean, there was literally a, uh, I guess, a violation of borders that happened, um, not in the context of a war at all, uh, like a casual violation of borders. And, you know, nobody talks about it. I wonder why. Uh, Do you feel that it's somewhat expected that there is some sort of Violence. I mean, I guess on. I guess I mean on the on the part of the international community that they expect it. Or do you think that it's because they don't care? I don't care? think they know about it. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just don't think they know about it. I don't think anybody's informed of the fact that uh, people, some people still have such extremist views. Yeah. Another thing is that. Uh, for example, the response to the pandemic. Uh, the border is closed right now unless you have a PCR test to cross mm. from the north to the south of Cyprus. And in July, a lot of foreigners who were trying to cross from the south to the north of Cyprus weren't permitted to because uh, because some politicians in the north believed that it was done solely to... I mean, it was done with the excuse that of the pandemic uh, and regulations, but it was done to harm the economy of the North mm. because we have no other entry points from the international community except if it's from Turkey, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. most of our economy depends on tourism. Yeah. 
and would you say, you know, in your day, in your day-to-day life, like what you feel, is there a feeling that there is still pretty significant tension between the South and the North interpersonally, or does it more feel like it kind of some sort of historical memory that doesn't, that you don't feel? How does that impact you? I think it's you? there all the time. I mean, it's, it's there in all the choices we make. I mean, it's there in our travels. It's there uh, on the news every day. It's there with our politics because I'd say most of the election and the decisions made based on the election by citizens and by people, yeah, by citizens who can vote uh, is made based on the Cyprus problem. Uh, so how are the politicians uh, responding to this? How will they act upon it? How will they go, f- how will they move to the future towards a solution? Uh, and those are the questions that we as voters think about when we're voting. And what, and it's yeah. always, it's been like that for years, for since the war. And what do you see happening in the near future? In the near future, uh, the near future is a tough thing to think about, I think, uh, (laughs) because of the pandemic. But what's going to stay, I think, is the uncertainty with what's going to happen with uh, natural gas, Mm. pressure, international pressure, uh, pressure from Turkey to Turkish Cypriots, to the Turkish Cypriot government. Um, uh, Continuing reminders of our dependence to Turkey because we don't get any other support. Right. And I think all of that just leads to more and more disappointment, will lead to and still leads to more and more disappointment and hopelessness in Turkish Cypriots. Um, So, because I grew up with that sense of heaviness and the sort of the post-war depression, I'd say, mm. of that and the open-endedness and the lack of closure that Turkish Cypriots all have and experience. It's sort of, um, I can't seem to form I can't seem to have a well-formulated idea of what the future holds for Turkish Cypriots and the conflict. But I see hope. The current elections, as I say, candidates that are head-to-head, one of them is quite headstrong about our rights. One final question. If you could leave us with one final message, what would it be? My final message would be that we exist I think um, Mm. (laughs) that's really just what I want to say with all of this. I would say please inform yourselves, but the media doesn't portray Turkish Cypriots uh, in a favorable light or in any light at all most of the time. So I don't think you'd find much to go off of, but we have been and are still being passionately erased from our own history and a history that affects us, affected us and still affects us today. And it, it's really, um, 
I don't think it would be uh, so acceptable if it happened anywhere else. Mm. It's just we were silenced and disregarded for so long and by the whole world <laughs> that it's sort of become uh, it's sort of become regular for us. I mean, we we should be louder. We should be able to scream and shout and be angry, but we're just so tired, you know? <laughs> so it's a, it's a tough battle. And I think, I mean, because it's a battle to exist, to just simply exist yeah. in this world. I, yeah, I just, I really do wish that this episode, this podcast will help you, um, has helped you learn something about us. Just one little thing, maybe. Thank you so much, Hazal, for coming to speak with us today and for telling your story and sharing your voice. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back soon with our next installment of this series. In the meantime, be sure to follow our social media and subscribe to this podcast. See you soon.